What? College matters. What? College, college matters. matters. Really? For sure. College matters. Alma, Alma matters. matters. You know, independent schools and, and also many suburban school districts uh, that tout their, you know, quote, great schools. We, we mm-hmm. often use the list of colleges where our graduates attend or were admitted as, as a marketing tool, as a signal that you can have this too if you come here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the school's accomplishment to share. We're using achievements of individual students to tell the story of a place that does so much more than just send kids to college. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not the right story. And we can't market a school based on outcomes over which we have no control. That is Amy Howard, Executive Director of Access, the Association of College Counselors in independent schools. Hello, I'm your host, Venkat Raman. When Emmy Howard attended her public high school, she did not know anyone in her school whose job was just college counseling. After college, Emmy went into college admissions. She started by supervising college tour guides and loved interacting with students. That led Emmy to college counseling roles in high schools, and now the executive director for Access, an opportunity to work with college counselors in independent schools across the country. On our podcast, Emmy talks about her background, about Access, her counseling approach, counselors' challenges, managing unpredictability and her advice for high school students. Now, before we jump into the podcast, here are the high fives, five highlights from the podcast. I was Mm -hmm. supervising our tour guides and working with um, just volunteers, volunteers in the office overall. So had the, the student contact there, which really helped me do my job better because I was able sure. to reflect upon what the student experience was mm-hmm. at the university directly because I was talking to a range of students every day. Um, right. And and that piece, that piece I enjoy. More and more within Access, we realized that there were um, this, there was a, a common thread that we were missing. Mm-hmm. of the conversations and the the educational opportunities that were just specific to the folks working in these schools. And so we were looking to supplement the professional development opportunities that already existed. And that's what we still try to do today. I, I would say on my good days, on my mm-hmm. best days, <laughs> I, I work to listen more than I talk. I uh-huh. think that's that's kind of the point of any of this is if the whole point is centering the student and yeah. and their journey then it they need to be the ones they need to be the ones in the driver's seat so i would say listening more than talking and trying to meet students and their caregivers mm-hmm. where they are um mm-hmm. and understanding that it is it is a family decision yes another thing that certainly has has come up is dealing with greater mental health issues for students yeah mm-hmm. and seeing that coming through in in schools it's certainly coming through in colleges mm-hmm. um and and working to increase resources for students, and and that's just for the students who do actually self-identify that they need help. Don't assume that the academic tools that you relied on in high school 
are going to work for you in college. And, and I think students may not even realize mm-hmm. that they don't even know what tools it is that they need. Um, they may not realize the tools that they relied on until all of a sudden those stop working. So I'd say, especially yeah. for students who, who were one of the top kids in their school, that then go to a college where everyone was one of the top kids in their graduating class. Um, right. You're swimming in a different pool now. These were the high fives brought to you by College Matters. Alma Matters. Matters. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For my newsletter, visit almamatters.substack.com. Now, I'm sure you want to hear the entire podcast with Emmy. So without further ado, here's the podcast with Emmy Howard. If you're ready, we can jump right in. I'm ready. Cool. So maybe the best place to start is tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, professionally, I kind of fell into working in, in education and into helping students in the college process. And I definitely fell into my current position, but I... Um, I ended up after after college um, kind of doing an, an admissions uh, intern position mm-hmm. that uh, where I also was a, a residence hall director of a 400 student upper class residence hall. I, I figured out pretty quickly residence life was not my jam, but <laughs> I, um, I liked admissions. And so I ended up um, then after that year going and working, um, I, I was lucky enough to do undergrad at Emory University in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. then, so I was a year there and then I got to work at Vanderbilt University in Nashville mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for four years in the admissions office. And what turned out to be um, uh, my, my last year in, in that office, um, right. visiting high schools uh, across the country, but, but specifically in my home state of Virginia, had mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, now former colleague and, and mentor kind of say to me, you know, you really connect with students well. You seem to enjoy that part of it mm-hmm. a lot. Have you thought about working, uh, working in a school and working with students? And um, and as a as a side note, I guess to that, I um, I grew up in what I felt like was a small town. I went to a I went to a public high school, mm-hmm. and so the the idea that there's someone whose job was just college counseling was not something that I had mm-hmm. any idea about until I worked in, in admissions. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I knew, you know, school counselors in, in public schools had these huge, overwhelming jobs. And, right. and I, I knew that I did not have the skill set for that. <laughs> but, but the college counselor, what was being described to me and what I had in years in admissions is college counseling. That had some appeal to me and being able to support a student through, through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up, uh, ended up shifting over um, to... Um, to working at uh, an independent school in Virginia near where I grew up. I got to mm-hmm. work at Hampton Roads Academy mm-hmm. and I was there for, for five years and then um, missed being in a city, having been in Atlanta and in Nashville. And my own family in Virginia was really supportive of, of, of me kind of making making a move. And so I moved all the way across the country to, mm. uh, to San Diego, where mm-hmm. I got to be the director of college counseling at the Bishop School in La Jolla, mm-hmm. California for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And during that time, um, this new organization for college counselors and in independent schools was started called AXIS, which is the Association for College Counselors in Independent Schools. Mm-hmm. And I volunteered with the organization. I became a committee chair. I became um, the third volunteer 
uh, executive director of the organization, and then ultimately the first full-time executive director. And that was back in January, 2017. Wow. And here I am. <laughs> Quite a journey. What do you think kind of drew you to counseling uh, in a big way? I mean, I, I right. Like you, right from the get-go, you were there. I, right. And I, and I guess I alluded, I alluded to some of that and I realized it was, it was the student connection part. When I first started working in admissions, I think a lot of rookie admission counselors, um, they're, they're sent out to visit high schools or, or are doing um, work with student volunteers in the office. I was mm -hmm. supervising our tour guides and working with um, just volunteers, volunteers in the office overall. So had the, the student contact there, which really helped me do my job better because I was able sure. to reflect upon what the student experience was mm -hmm. at the university directly because I was talking to a range of students every day. Um, right. And, and that piece, that piece I enjoyed. And I think I, I realized that when I got promoted mm -hmm. out, of, out of those roles, I, I missed the student facing piece as, as much as a headache as it was, when a tour guide would call in on a Friday morning, having gone out the night before that they couldn't make their tour. Um, I, I missed the tour guide. I missed the tour guide supervision part yeah. um, when, when I got promoted out of it to bigger roles. And I realized yeah. that, that, you know, the, the, for so many people that the path that I had started on um, was going to lead the higher up you go in admissions often, the less and less, positive direct contact you have with students. Right. Um, that is also true for school administration, uh, <laughs> yeah. for folks who stay in, stay in school. Um, yeah. and, and so I, I realized I, I missed that piece. And so that was, that was the part where, and, I, and I've seen colleagues, I have a, a, a dear friend who we started within two days of each other in the admission office at Vanderbilt in 1997. <laughs> and, um, and, she's, and she's still there and she's doing great. And I think if you had asked both of us when we first started, what we thought our paths were or why we had gotten into it. I think our answers would have been pretty similar. Um, uh -huh. and, and then it becomes kind of how you, how you grow your skills yeah. and yeah. the things that give you joy, things that you enjoy in the work. And, um, and, and for me, for a very long period of time, that was definitely um, sitting down and working, working with students individually and helping them, helping them find their path. Now you mentioned access, and so um, here you are running this organization. So, what is it? What is the mission? What does it really do for you know the independent schools? What are you guys trying to do? Sure. Ironically, the fact that I just said that I got into this because I enjoyed working with students. I no longer work with students. And <laughs> right. Instead, my yes. role my role now is supporting the adults who are working with students, yeah. and so to support those who are offering the support. Um, to try to do so with an equity and inclusion lens to advance, to help them advance that work in schools, to help uh, yeah. our you know, counselors feel supported as they support students from a range of backgrounds in schools that uh, are not always uh, equitable places, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, have, have barriers to entry set up from the beginning yeah. um, as, as non-public schools. But, but really what we're trying to do is because that job is yeah. a public school counselor, role that has so many more hats that those uh, very talented individuals wear because it's different than the role of a college admission officer. Um, and even within admissions, the work mm -hmm. at a large public institution is different than a small liberal arts college in admissions. And so realizing that there 
are, you know, there's a national association for independent schools that covers all of the roles for all the individuals that work in those schools. There's the National Association for College Admission Counseling that serves all of the constituent groups that help students in that, uh, that transit post-secondary transition. Mm-hmm. And, and more and more within access, we realized that there were um, this, there was a, a common thread that we were missing. Mm-hmm. of the conversations and the the educational opportunities that were just specific to the folks working in these schools. And so we were looking to supplement the professional development opportunities that already existed. And that's what we still try to do today is to offer that um, complementary supplementary. Sometimes sometimes folks will choose our, our programs instead of those offered by other organizations. I certainly yeah. don't mind that, but, sure. but, but really to try to offer that missing piece. And so that within the constituent group of, of our members, uh, every conversation can be relevant to, to your work. Everything uh, that, that we're offering can help counselors serve their school communities, their students, uh, the caregivers of those students, and try to do their work in an ever-changing landscape. Now, how, how big is this community of membership? Sure. Access, um, we were only founded just, just over 15, 15 years ago. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we are young. Um, within that time, we have just over 600 schools representing just over 2,100 college counselors and support wow. staff within college counseling offices. some um, seminal programs that you offer, and then we can sort of jump into college counseling a bit. But uh, Sure. Um, we, as, as many membership organizations do, we, we love our conferences and programs. And I think our, our annual conference is, is our summer institute that we actually just opened registration for this week, mm-hmm. that each summer we hold on a college campus. Um, mm-hmm. We're lucky to have Syracuse University as our host this summer in New York. And uh, we bring about 300 college counselors together on mm-hmm. that campus. We create our own programming. Mm-hmm. So we have our members proposing sessions that they will present. We offer roundtables for facilitated discussions for folks to be able to get together at a time when schools are not in session uh, mm-hmm. to be able to debrief the year, to be able to, to crowdsource some great information, to be able to mm-hmm. share with others, what mm-hmm. what has occurred during the year, what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Summer Institute is our is our flagship program. We offer um, we we just had our first in person, thanks to the pandemic, first yeah, uh, yeah. in person equity and innovation summit mm-hmm. uh, this winter, uh, where Queens University in Charlotte was great to host us for that. We offer a program for um, office assistants in college mm-hmm. counseling offices who don't really have any other professional organizations to support mm-hmm. them in that role. Um, mm-hmm. Preparing for that next month that we'll be back in North Carolina again, thanks to our host Ravenscroft School. And I think you talked to Sean yep. Kennedy there a couple of weeks ago. Um, yes. And, and a range, of, we offer programs for, for new college counselors, new directors of college counseling, um, a series of Zooms throughout the year affinity groups within um, our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. Um, we, we stay busy. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your college counseling days um, where you were actively involved with students. Um, you know, what was your approach to college counseling? How did you kind of 
go about that process? Sure. I, I would say on my good days, on my mm-hmm. best days, <laughs> I, I work to listen more than I talk. I think uh-huh. that's that's kind of the point of any of this is that the whole point is centering the student and yeah. and their journey that it they need to be the ones they need to be the ones in the driver's seat. So I would say listening more than talking and trying to meet students and their caregivers mm-hmm. where they are um, mm-hmm. and understanding that it is it is a family decision. Yes, in an ideal world, it would be about what the student wants and their journey and and where they want to go. Um, but students are not usually the ones in a position to fund that mm-hmm. education and uh and and often um they don't necessarily come with the decision making tools uh yeah. to to pull everything together and so uh it is it is really a family uh family decision where students um parents guardians caregivers are 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 definitely a large part of that of that conversation and i would say honestly so much of the work uh really comes down to listening. There's certainly an element of it that feels like, you know, marriage and family counseling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some sometimes where there are a whole lot of family um, family issues that end yeah. up coming um, coming to a head within yeah. within the college counseling process. Yeah. Um, and and there were some times that it was really beautiful to see uh, a family dynamic, to be able to to see a student uh, who had maybe been really hard on themselves academically, beat themselves up, and have their parents yeah. say, you know, I, no, I don't want to hear that from you. I know how hard you worked to study yeah. for that test. Plus, you had come home from soccer practice at a game at 11 o'clock the night before, and you were, you know, rehearsing for the choir concert. So don't be down on yourself. You've done really well. And to be able to see that dynamic yeah. lay out in front of me, that was always really rewarding. I think those were the, those were the good days. Um, there are certainly days that weren't so good, but I, yeah. I try to, especially now that I've been out of schools for several <laughs> years, I, I try to center, center the, the times where things really were, were at their best. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what kind of challenges right. did you have? What kind of challenges did you have? Uh, you know, I know, I know it's, you know, over a period of time, things change, but were there right, any right. things that were constant? Well, I would say one one thing, it, it, and and I will make this about me first. Um, yeah. How I was the challenge more before I'll put it on parents and students, but <laughs> but also trying to remind myself that while I had been doing that work for twenty some years, it was right. new for the student yeah. uh, each year, and I knew the process, and I knew that I was going to cycle through year after year. Okay, you're going to create your common application account and. Um, let's fill out this, you know, junior intake survey. So I have an idea of what you're looking for. And I knew those questions and I knew how I meant them. And I knew the steps that I was going to take, but it was making sure that it did not, um, th- that, that I reminded myself that it's new for the student every time. And it doesn't come across as rote, um, or repetitive. Um, and it's not, um, it's not like reciting lines in a play. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more like improv where your scene partner is you know is is going to offer you something new right. each each time and and trying to build on that and again listen listen more than talk and so so sometimes it was a challenge for me on a really busy day with a lot of moving parts and trying to juggle all the things um trying to be sure that i um that i respected that it was new for the student and yeah. and where yeah. they were going through and and for the family too um and and there certainly were um, challenging times when there was a, um, um, you know, having, having to, 
offer news to a family or having to reflect on a situation um, that was a a surprise to them or that they took poorly. I'm trying to be very generous in how I frame this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Where, where just what, what someone's expectation was just did not at all match, match reality. Um, I, I would say also it was definitely a a challenge um, when um, we couldn't make the finances work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by, by any stretch of the imagination. And, and that's tough, uh, in independent schools where, especially if a, if a student has high need is on a significant amount of financial aid and, mm-hmm. um, and, and may not be, uh, and their, their academic range or, or their other accomplishments may not put them in a range where they, um, they necessarily would, um, be admitted to institutions that would have, could, could afford to fund. Sure. Them to the extent that they would need, or they may not qualify for scholarships at an institution, um, you know, making that come together. And then being in an environment where they see a lot of other students who, um, who don't have that issue, who don't have those choices to make, where money, money is not uh, an issue in their family conversation. That's, that's really hard. And that was, that was always heartbreaking to me. I also had one situation where, God bless him, working with a student, and this was like right at the point where the student wasn't registered for, for DACA, uh, deferred, mm-hmm. um, uh, deferred, what is the first ACID for childhood arrivals? Um, deferred action for childhood arrivals. Yeah. Um, and, and student had, you know, again, I, I, you know, lived 20 minutes from the, from the Mexican border. And so, you know, student uh, was, um, was in school in, in the U.S. and we were trying to, um, get stay in communication with the family who was staying in communication with an attorney who I think had taken them for a ride on promising them, you know, the green card over and over. And this yeah. one amazing student was the only one in the family that it hadn't come through yet. Two younger siblings born in the U S um, mother and older sibling already had their green cards and it wasn't coming through for this, for this student. And, and, you know, even, even with, with DACA it, it, finances, again, were going to be an issue and where the student wanted to go. Um, and student took a gap year and the hope that it would come through. And it just, it was just kind of one heartbreak over and over. I I've kept vaguely kept track of that student through LinkedIn and social media. And mm-hmm. we both were separately interviewed for a news article about, about five or six years ago. But, um, but I would, I would say those things too, on realizing that, um, gosh, there ought to be a better way, um, to the things that are kind of policy and structural, um, sure. barriers. Sure. Um, those, those were challenges, I think too. Now that you're um, one step or one f- level removed from that, um, what are you hearing from your current access members? What are some top of mind issues, challenges that they are facing or that they are dealing with? Uh, most most recently, and, and this is really timely um, for when we're recording this and having this conversation is, um, the, the FAFSA delay that's just been announced, yeah. the free application for federal student aid was, was yeah. due to be simplified um, through, yeah. uh, through legislation and, and policy, and that was great. And then I have, a, I have a great amount of sympathy for the folks who work for federal student education because they asked for the budget increase and the staffing increase to be able to impact these changes, and they got zero more dollars. So, right. um, so instead of the FAFSA going live on October 1st, 2023 for the 24-25 mm-hmm. cycle, um, as it has the past several years, um, it's going to be delayed until December 1st. And I think there's a lot of anxiety about that because within that simplification, 
folks are worried that the um, uh, calculators, uh, the, the estimators that folks have used yeah. online yeah. in yeah. the past won't, won't be accurate. And so work that folks have been used to, to starting on with students in the fall, in October, um, they won't be able to do, um, to be able to help students even, even look at realistic options until you're right staring down the face of a lot of, um, a lot of application deadlines and, and some deadlines for public flagship institutions that will have passed by December when, yeah. when the new FAFSA opens. So I think there's some concern about about um, that in general, that I hope will be mitigated in the coming months. Um, but I think that that also is representative of the fact that finances, especially, um, I, I wish I could say post-pandemic, we're still in yeah. it, but especially yeah. now um, with the economic situation in, in the U.S. and globally, um, I, I think financial issues are, are just such, um, such an issue, especially within independent schools, because you're talking about families who have been paying something for their child's K-12 education. Mm -hmm. um, which is which is money that they have, which is a choice. Certainly, they could have chosen the free public education that was available sure. to them through sure. property taxes, but um, but made that choice, and so that means that, that that's money that they weren't saving for college. Um, and and um, and again, it's a choice, but it's it's a resource, um, you know, resource issue for for a lot of families. Um, another thing that certainly has has come up is dealing with greater mental health issues for students Yeah, mm -hmm. and seeing that coming through in, in schools. It's certainly coming through in colleges mm -hmm. um, and, and working to increase resources for students. And, and that's just for the students who do actually self-identify that they need help, right. um, you know, trying to find students um, within, within school and seeing how um, mental health issues just look differently. It isn't always depression. Sometimes yeah. it's it's the pursuit of perfection, which we too often praise in yeah. schools because that's yeah. the student that's winning and getting A's, and and that that often can cover up some really um, really troubling issues too. And then the student goes off to college and they're not around all these people who have mm -hmm. known them for so long. They're not around that scaffolding and support, mm -hmm. um, and and don't know where to turn feel like they're supposed to have they're supposed to have the skills to be able to deal with this and I think I think some of that is it, college counselors are notorious empaths I think anyone in a college counseling field is and so even if folks weren't dealing with their own issues as professionals it's hard not to absorb that those stresses from students and from parents yeah. but yeah. but I think especially since um, since the pandemic and since so many of us and especially those in schools are being asked to do more with less yeah. and, and being asked to adapt so quickly to so many things within the college admission field that have changed. Mm -hmm. um, yet for some reason we keep acting as if, oh no, no, everything's fine. We've gone back to normal. And I can like count off eight things that have changed that we've all had to adapt to. And yet we're pretending that everything is fine. Um, you know, there's so many things to juggle, and I feel like the burnout um, across across the field. Um, yeah. But but you know, for for my lens, especially for folks in independent schools, um, certainly seeing folks uh, retiring who might have stayed in mm. in schools longer. Um, I'm seeing uh, we easily have 60 60 jobs posted on our website right now. Which, granted, many of them are new positions. Mm -hmm. being added a, a new you know a fourth counselor in what's been an office of three being being added um which i hope will help with the burnout because because it means that there are more people to support the students 
Um, mm -hmm. And it, sometimes that's also because independent schools were able to grow their enrollment during the pandemic. Um, sometimes it's just because we're gonna we're gonna start having conversations with families earlier um, ab about colleges that that turnover um, mm -hmm. and this mis mismatch in expectations and in what the role of college counseling is for yeah. a lot of other folks that work in schools because I think I think there's this expectation that you are the one who is supposed to get this done and and the folks in schools not recognizing that you know, the, the landscape of college admissions has changed so much. The selectivity of institutions has changed so much. Um, students are applying to more colleges. It, everything has just become bigger, better, faster, more. And, and the stresses of that, there are a lot of folks that are just, that are just opting out either to leave the field or mm -hmm. looking to leave schools and, and do, uh, do their college counseling work independently. Uh, you know, you just mentioned a couple of interesting things. One is, yes, students are applying to more colleges as a consequence of the unpredictability, right? Um, in terms of exactly admissions, exactly, and um, and then you know, counselors having to sort of be able to guess um, how to game this thing or how to play this game. I don't know whichever the right phrase is. And um, that's that's not easy, uh, and, and that's no, not something sure. that's predictable, and certainly that's not the intent. I'm guessing so, uh, and which goes back to the managing expectations part, right? Which is um, parents still expect, and maybe schools too, like you pointed out. So, uh, what's what's the um, is that a solution? Is there a, a way to make people understand, or how do you educate people about this? Yeah, it's it's really hard. I I was able to do a uh, a, a talk, a session with a, a group of heads of schools for mm -hmm. the Independent Schools Association of the Southwest uh, mm -hmm. in in the fall. And I, I would I would love the short version of this is I would love to be able to talk to more groups of heads of schools um, mm -hmm. because you know, independent schools and, and also many suburban school districts um, that tout their, you know, quote, great schools. We, mm -hmm. we often use the list of colleges where our graduates attend or were admitted as, as a marketing tool, as a signal that you can have this too if you come here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not the school's accomplishment to share. We're using achievements of individual students to tell the story of a place that does so much more than just send kids to college. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's not the right story. And we can't market a school based on outcomes over which we have no control yeah. and and that change so so quickly um, based on things that again have nothing to do with students but have to do with institutional priorities of, of any individual college and so I, I think that again it's structural it's policy it's it's big and and then folks will say well well what do we market our school based on then and and I think you know, it, it's, it's tough to say we have this great academic program that we offer you that can take you all of these places. Of course, people are going to ask what places are those yeah. exactly yeah. and why should we value how you get them there more than somewhere else. But, okay. but we have to we have to stop. We have to stop doing that because we're complicit in this. If, if we as folks in schools keep saying um, this is the list of colleges that our graduates have have attended. Um, you know, folks are looking at the at the most selective schools. Folks are looking for very particular names, um, and they're saying, "Okay, my child can have this too." So then, at the end of the process, we can't really be upset with them when they enter the college counseling office and they say, "We didn't pay all this money 
for you to tell my child in the bottom 10% of the class that they can't have this too. Um, Now, granted, I think most families do realize eventually that, you know, no school can make their child get straight A's and, you know, be the most engaging human on the planet and get into all the colleges. But um, I, I think we just need to figure out a better way to do that and a better way to define success um, yes. than, than just what, what a college outcome is. And I think broaden the range of schools, broaden the information that families receive. And, um, and it's, it's tough to do, no question. Now, what do you think of this whole test optional thing? I mean, I know that um, it started it started before the pandemic, the pandemic right. accelerated it. But I, I guess I would say at this point, it's very uneven what's going on. So what do you think? I'd agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think, I think there's some places where um, it's, it's, it's here for the duration. And, and they've certainly declared that we are now test optional or test free. I mean, I'm in California. I think you are as well, where, yeah. where the you know, public universities within the state of California are, are now test free. And so right. meaning, you know, don't send them, we won't look at them. Yeah. And, and so that, you know, that has a great impact. Um, you know, the places that are test optional, I think, I think conceptually it's, it's great um, for students who feel like, okay, this isn't going to be something that is going to be a barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a, for students who do choose to test, Mm-hmm. because potentially they're applying to some places that do require it because there are right. places and it's not just, you know, the state of Florida that has brought it, you know, it's also MIT and some other right. places that have said, right. you know, we're bringing it back. You have to take this test. Um, some places for scholarship eligibility, um, right. you know, students are, are greatly benefited to have a test score. Um, so then it becomes, well, wait a minute. I have a 1350 SAT score. Um, you know, the, the college says uh, they're test optional and they're mid-range. It, you know, I'm, I'm right in, in their mid-range. You know, do, do I send them or not? Um, yeah. I, I think that's the piece. That's, that's one of those new stresses for college yeah. counselors um, a, across the board of, you know, I, I don't know. And, and especially, I will note, and again, this is not a hardship, but especially there are a lot of assumptions, rightly or wrongly, that are made of students in independent schools, in private schools. And, and one of those assumptions is often um, you have access to a person, to a college counselor who has the time and the resources to be able to offer you this guy, a counselor which a, with a much larger caseload, is not assumed to have that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it is, it is often assumed um, that families with more financial resources also have the opportunity to do standardized test preparation right. as well. And so... I think often there's an assumption if a student doesn't send a score that they have done. even So, so if I don't send that 1350, is it assumed that I didn't, you know, that I, that I did worse. Um, And, and so I think just the, the, the logic puzzles that, that someone has to go through um, to counsel a student effectively. And then ultimately to say, I know I'm the one that's supposed to offer you this advice, um, but you need to make this decision on whether you send them or not, ultimately. Um, I, I, I do not envy my, my colleagues in, in how they manage that because it's such a moving target these days for, for families, for students, because colleges are, are reporting these much higher ranges yeah. for, 
for their admitted students because, and that makes sense because the students that have the higher scores are the ones that are actually submitting them. But does that mean then that I don't send it? And will it hurt me if I send it? And what is a good score anymore? Um, I, I think what was intended to help um, minimize stress and open access in the process, um, while it has, has also created new stressors that weren't there. Yeah, yeah. That said, I don't want it to go away. I, I think it would actually be better if standardized testing were removed um, from this process altogether for the exact reason that so many places have gone test-free or optional um, because yeah. of the, the bias um, that is just endemic to these, to these tests. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's test optional is, is not, um, is not always a fix either. So Emmy, we're going to start winding down, um, but okay. before I let you go, um, from your vantage point, what kind of advice would you give high schoolers as they think about college and maybe the families as well? Sure. Um, I think one, one thing that this goes along with, with mental health, this goes along with, with academic success is don't assume that the academic tools that you relied on in high school are going mm -hmm. to work for you in college. And, and I think students may not even realize mm -hmm. that they don't even know what tools it is that they need. Um, they may not realize the tools that they relied on until all of a sudden those stop working. So I'd say, especially yeah. for students who, who were one of the top kids in their school, that then go to a college where everyone was one of the top kids in their graduating class. Um, right. You're swimming in a different pool now. And, and even great swimmers, Olympic swimmers still need to train in order yeah. to get better. They need coaches. And so, you know, feeling like I'm supposed to know this, I got into this great school. I didn't need help in high school. Well, you're not in high school anymore. And so I think there's some students who, who have, um, this shame pride thing about needing to go to the learning center about needing to go to office hours, even understanding what office hours are mm -hmm. um, in a college, that that's when your professor's door is open and you can come if you have a question. Um, yeah. Sending an email to a teaching assistant with a question, going to the writing center, um, you know, getting into a study group with some other folks in your in your class. I, I think trying to figure out some of those resources um, because because it is a different circumstance, um, especially for students who are in very different academic environments than they've ever than they've ever been in. Um, but I think along with that academic change, there's the social change, mm -hmm. too. And so I, I would also say to give um, give any new environment time and put mm -hmm. yourself out there to experience new things um, and new people and new um, take safe risks. Um, mm -hmm. I, I worked in a in a school for a for a period of time where many of those students had been in school together almost mm -hmm. since kindergarten and mm -hmm. they got to college and all of a sudden it's like, I don't have any friends and I don't, and, and they just, they forgot that those lifelong friendships took a lifetime <laughs> to develop and instead felt like something was wrong with the school. If they hadn't made best friends within the first two weeks of college, especially with social media reflecting to you that all of your friends are having the best time in their lives <laughs> <Of course>. when, <laughs> when they're only posting the good things, of course. So <laughs> I, I think that piece of it too, on just, you know, realize that there may be, uh, there may be the luck of having your roommate be um, your new best friend and, you know, someone who's ultimately in, in your wedding and you keep in touch with the rest of your life. And it may be that that is not a great uh, friendship. And the first couple of weeks are a little awkward when you 
when you're trying to find who those people are, but, but give it, give it some time and, and it's going to, it's going to settle in and it's going to be okay. Um, I, I would say, you know, overall many, many Americans, especially, and, and uh, notably those who aren't first in their families to go to college often mm -hmm. mythologize it as this mm -hmm. is the best time of your life, the place mm -hmm. that you'll again, meet that spouse, the friends that, that may happen. But remembering that it's also a really great place to grow and mm -hmm. learn. And it's also just four years, we hope. Sometimes yeah. it's more intentionally, but right. um, you know, the internet and socials last forever. So make good decisions and give yourself the space and the grace to be able to, to take that time to grow and learn. Awesome. So Emmy, um, thank you so much. This was a fascinating thank conversation. You. Thank you for sharing all your thoughts and your insights. I'm sure we'll talk more. But for right now, take care, be safe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi again. Hope you enjoyed our podcast with Emmy Howard, the Executive Director of Access. Emmy gave us a comprehensive overview of the college counseling landscape and access, including Emmy's counseling approach, why access, and how access is helping its members, the college process unpredictability, and finally, advice for high schoolers. I hope college-bound students and parents find Emmy's insights helpful. For your questions or comments on this podcast, please email podcast at almamatters.io. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast today. Transcripts for this podcast and previous podcasts are on almamatters.io forward slash podcasts. To stay connected with us, subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or visit anchor.fm forward slash almamatters to check us out. Till we meet again, take care and be safe. Thank you. College Matters. Alma, Alma Matters. matters.